episode-by-episode podcast review of CBS's action-adventure series, MacGyver. I'm Patrick O'Reilly. And I'm Richard Wells. And today we'll be tackling Season 2, Episode 9, Silent World. The original air date for this episode was November 24th, 1986. It was directed by James L. Conway, and it was written by Stephen Candell, who we had uh, do Wish Child previously mm-hmm. this season, and a bunch of stuff last season. Um, so why don't we get a brief overview of what this episode's about? Well, in this episode, MacGyver is working closely with both a uh, school for the deaf and the government on a new type of audio-controlled missile that is going to be stolen by a thief for the Shadow Syndicate. Right. Um, and then moving into this a little bit more in depth, we we actually open in Paris. Yeah, it's um, needlessly. Needless. Well, I I guess just to show that this is an international syndicate. Right. Like, and that this is like a a worldly show that mm-hmm. you know jumps from here to there. But the room that we're in is not specifically it, French in any way. It's it's a it's an incredibly Parisian room. Yeah. It, none of it's lit, but it's very <laughs> French, I assume. Um, yeah, we get to we get to, I, I get really excited whenever I see a Concorde jet. Right. Uh, I mean, because it, it had such a I guess like in the long term of airlines had such a small run yeah. as a as a commercial jet. Um, people and as an indication of wealth. In, yeah, in exactly. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if everyone is unfamiliar with the Concorde, it is a supersonic commercial airline. Right. It's a passenger plane that can. That can break the sound barrier. Yeah, it's it. It was an incredible concept in this day and age of incredible concepts like the solar plane that just made it across the uh, Pacific. Yeah. Um. You know. So they were trying. It was a really innovative thing. Is total this, this... total tangent, but it's just to me, it's very impressive. Right. Yeah. And the plane is supposed to be what what uh, Jeffrey Lewis's character is flying in on. Correct. To meet with yeah. these three gentlemen. Yeah. Uh, David Crane, internationally renowned thief, former CIA. Right. Um, being called in by the Shadow Syndicate. I call them the Shadow Syndicate because they were always under silhouette before. Right, yeah, yeah. Which I guess would be a French word. <laughs> sure, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and and they're just kind of like talking uh, smack about him a little bit. It's like, I don't like how cavalier. He's going shopping. For what? I don't know. Like, yeah, it kind of reminds me of uh, in The Escape when they're kind of like talking in circles. yeah. While uh, MacGyver and Christina Wayborn are like planning their attack, it's just like we needed something to fill this mm-hmm. scene since we're cutting back and forth from the action here to the action somewhere else. I mean, it's like they're trying to build him up, but they're not building up kindly. They're yeah. building him up like I'm very confused about this guy. I don't but know he, what to expect. He does from him. kind of fulfill that their um, explanation of who he is when he comes in, and he's like very cavalier, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, he says he he played with the Littleton Panthers. <laughs> he was the quarterback. Uh, yeah, he, he makes a weird references. We had a great backfield. I got him with me now. Like, I don't know if he was implying that his his men are his former yeah. uh, teammates, which would be kind of weird and cool. Like, it's, it's like, oh, well, we didn't make it pro, but I got I got a line on, on some other work that we yeah. could do. Um, and by the way, we, we should explain here that Jeffrey Lewis is – a, a well-known character actor. Oh, yeah, He's yeah. been in a lot of stuff. Uh, specifically, he worked with in uh, seven films with Clint Eastwood. Uh, the first two that I usually think of when I'm trying to think of any of his movies are Every Which Way But Loose and Any Which Way You Can mm-hmm. are the first two that come to mind, which yeah. are the, where they have the orangutan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I When we were going through his, cre- his credit list, I, I, re- I specifically recognized the episode of The X-Files he had been in. Right, yeah. Um, which is a really good one uh, where he, he photogra- he's trying to photograph death. Right. So he can die. Um, and he's actually partnered up with Scully for that episode? For part of it, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it's a good episode of The X-Files, too. Um, we're, we cut back and forth between this introduction to David Crane, the thief, and MacGyver and Pete out in this uh, testing site. Right. And we're panning across the setup, which is like a kind of an intro to Crystal Skull, like yeah. mannequins and stuff in a test site that's going to get hit with a weapon. I thought I thought the weapon was going to be a lot more dramatic yeah. than it was, uh, given this whole huge setup that they went through. Yeah. Um, because, you know, the, there's like fake dogs, people with strollers and fake babies. And, and a mannequin dressed as bizarrely like MacGyver. If only, oh, that would have been great if they did like, um, if they did a, a Man with a Golden Gun kind of switcheroo where he, pro- he pretends, he pretends to, be to, man- to be the mannequin for part of it, yeah. <laughs> 
He's just wearing like a nylon over his face to make it smooth like the mannequin mm-hmm. head. He would totally have done that too. He's yeah. Like, that's totally That's MacGyver like a MacGyver move. thing. Quit those... give me your nylons. <laughs> uh I don't, I'll, I'll just mention quickly that in the man with the golden gun, uh, Scaramanga has like this training facility where it's supposed to be mannequins, but it's just people like standing very still pretending to be mannequins, but actually are mannequins for the sake of the movie. But yeah, he has a, uh, what is it? A house of mirrors essentially. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, but it's all like these different famous gangsters. And then he has one for Bond, oh, for Roger Moore, yeah. which, you know, spoiler alert. He, he switches places with. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> I don't know why I went off on that tangent too. This is gonna be a lot of ta- there's a lot of tangents this episode. It's very tangential. Um, um, one more thing I did want to say about Jeffrey Lewis is that uh, in addition to being uh, the father of Juliet Lewis mm-hmm. uh, from you know Christmas Vacation and a lot of stuff. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, California. Yeah, and, California. I was, I was about to say that. Yeah, and uh, also Natural Born Killers is another big one. Mm-hmm. Um, but. Uh, he passed away, I think, in April. Mm. And when I was, I noticed him in the episode, and I thought, oh man, didn't he just pass away? And I went to look it up, and I realized that a friend of mine was shooting a movie with him in the lead role oh. of the movie. And it's someone that you might know too. Mm-hmm. You know Evald Johnson from Pytown? Yeah, you know, I do know Evald. I, I remember the name anyway. Yeah. He was writing, or he had written and was directing a film, and is, they're still finishing it called High and Outside, and Jeffrey Lewis was the main character of the film. Oh, jeez. And it was written by him and, and Dan O'Dare from Pytown. Did they finish shooting? That's what I, I messaged him. I said, I, I don't know if you guys, did you guys finish shooting with Jeffrey Lewis before he passed away? I just I just remembered you guys mm-hmm. were using him uh, in your film, and, and he said, oh yeah, I'm, we, we finished up, and, and uh, he passed away a short while later, but they're, they're doing their their post work on it now hopefully mm-hmm. getting it finished soon but yeah that, that's gonna end up being jeffrey lewis's last film it's gonna be really interesting yeah so it looks really cool too well maybe we'll throw the trailer up on the website because it looks it looks like a pretty neat yeah. movie so and jeffrey lewis is always pretty pretty fun he's he's especially creepy in the in the footage i've seen from this mm-hmm. so but um yeah i think i think it'll be a good one uh at the testing site that uh, macgyver is kind of staging up this they're they're testing a missile that they've rigged up to follow voice commands. I guess it's going to be, I guess it would be the equivalent of modern day of lasing a target with a, you know, you, where you paint it with a laser and the missile goes through there. But instead sure. of, instead of this, they could, you can make last minute corrections with your voice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess you, there, I can see applications for it, but sure. it would require you to be in the vicinity of the missile and have a very close, you know, view of where it is. And, and plus a good perspective. And you'd also have to have MacGyver's calculator of a brain to be able to give it very specific, like this many degrees, this direction, this right, many right. degrees, this direction. Because in relation to its its relative position. Yeah. Because you know you say 15 degrees west, uh, that doesn't that can mean anything depending on where you are. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, like so, it's a it's a strange it's a strange connection that they are going to bridge between the uh, the technology for the missile and uh, the school for the deaf, which we'll get into in a minute Um, with back with the shadow syndicate, David Crane is preparing to show them like a little bit of a demonstration right? where he has these shopping bags that he brought in with him. Yeah. He, he has all these different little pieces and he was, he's talking about how, you know, Oh, you know, these are harmless things unless you put them together. And uh, he uses them to detonate an explosive on a chair which no one knew was there. Yeah. It, it, it's a very strange setup. I don't really... I get the point he was trying to make, but I don't Which feel... Which is that, like, oh, well, you can use pieces to build a weapon. You don't uh, have to steal a weapon outright. Right, but part of this whole thing about it being, like, innocent was that he builds a trans... He builds the, the detonator, but he had previously had someone come in and plant explosives in this room. Yeah. And it's like, well, that's... That's like that's like saying, "Oh, look, I can buy all these pieces and make a gun out of it as long as I have yeah. a bullet." Yeah, it's like I have enriched uranium already. Mm-hmm. But if I steal all this these pieces of metal, I can make a bomb with it. It's yeah, like, yeah, of course I, you can. That's why they protect the enriched uranium mm-hmm. part. Yeah, so I, I I don't know. I get I get what they were trying to do. I just don't feel it was a an effective uh, point. So yeah, we're cutting back and forth between him doing he he basically puts together these it's a transmitter, a circuit board, and a battery, 
and then he's able to wirelessly blow up a chair mm -hmm. in their office to indicate like oh these innocent pieces can be put together to make something treacherous and yeah it's, like, it's really just making a trigger yeah yeah uh, you could have just bought a, a detonator <laughs> somewhere yeah it, you 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 could probably just have bought any kind of, like a garage door opener yeah and and, and just change the frequency explosive to react to that yeah yeah um and he's like, look, I can buy this garage door opener anywhere. It's like, yeah, but the bomb is the tricky part. Yeah, that's the hard part. Um, but, but it's setting up the plot for the episode in that he's going to steal three to, three or four different pieces uh, to this missile to assemble it. Right. And they, I think at this point they already have the casing for the Yeah, bomb. yeah, because we'll, we'll find out later that they had bought it. Yeah, they yeah. They brought, brought it like, yeah, fraudulently. They, <laughs> yeah, they did some forgery. In. Um, but back at the testing site... Uh, they launch the missile, and we see MacGyver making little course corrections to it. You know, 15 degrees, turn left, turn right, and all that kind of stuff. And and then he just says, lock on target. And it flies through the center of town as if uh, he was guiding it through, but he wasn't. He yeah. just told it to hit the target. Yeah. And so Which he could have done outright. Yeah, exactly. Like, it came from above. It's not going to go through the town. Yeah. Um, it is kind of a cool effect where we get to see, like, the, the trail of smoke heading towards the... Uh, explosion so you know they must have like a wire with a yeah with a, a rocket on it yeah, yeah. it's um, still it's still a cool effect right and this this whole time uh that they're like gearing up to do this missile test uh macgyver is like egging on this general that i guess is a friend of pete's because pete's referring to him by his first name of abel yeah well he pete always seems to be like super um chummy with the, the brass yeah like in the in human factor like like they were all well they, they definitely were all had a history too. yeah yeah but, but I, I don't – there wasn't really – beyond him referring to the guy as Abel, it doesn't seem like they had a, a specific history mm. that gets mentioned here. But, yeah, he just keeps calling him Abel. The guy's name is General Makepeace, which is – Abel Makepeace. Abel Makepeace. And I'm guessing his middle name is just T-O. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so he keeps calling him Abel, and he's getting real frustrated with Pete ribbing him and Mac, like – sort of giving him some guff when he's just like yeah macgyver you realize everything you say here is being recorded into a permanent database he's like oh i guess we better get started then eh, general yeah like, like he's being jokey and yeah like it's not like missile check you know like he's not he's not being professional about it yeah uh which is kind of like the whole point of it's like why did what did you think you were gonna get he's not a scientist yeah um is he what have is, we got what degrees general, what degrees does MacGyver have? We 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 we, we certainly hear a he lot has a about a physics it. degree. A degree, right? I mean, like that is what he went to college for. Yeah, he has a master's in physics. Okay. Yeah. Um, beyond that, I don't know what he has, but I, we mm -hmm. at least know that from Flame's End that he has right. a master's in physics. Um, the actor here, Jack Colvin, who plays um, who plays General Makepeace, was actually Jack McGee in uh, eighty-two episodes of the Incredible Hulk series. Which I didn't actually watch, but yeah, I mean, I, it I, seems like a fairly regular character eighty-two episodes. Yeah, you know, so. the the famous Lou Ferrigno yes yeah. series. Uh, I I've seen a handful of episodes, but I couldn't tell you who Jack McGee was. Yeah. Um, but he was in the he was on the show. Yeah. Um, and uh, and that seems to be his biggest credit. Yeah. Um, we cut from here to MacGyver arriving at a school for the deaf. Um, where an electronic translation device is being installed mm -hmm. mid-classroom, and the kids are asking him what the heck he's doing, what it is. Right. And they're, he, they're, doesn't, he doesn't know how to respond because they're deaf and he can't sign electronic translating device. Right. He he does some signing, like, but uh, you know he's obviously learning. Right. So um, when he has a situation where he doesn't know exactly how to say it, he goes over to Carrie, their instructor. Who's in the, yeah, the teacher. And uh, ask you know asks her and there's some like casual kind of comedy banter where he can't quite get it and she says oh you signed something weird you have a weird accent yeah and, and kid, she also kind of makes fun of him for he begins the question how do I sign this with before she turns around mm -hmm. which if she can't read a slip she doesn't know what he's saying right so she she gives him a little crap for that um, the the actress here uh, Mary Beth Parker I believe is actually deaf actually deaf and. Uh, she her IMDb credits. There's really only two of them on her IMDb page. She may have been in other things, but the mm -hmm. only two credits that show up on IMDb are MacGyver and Throb, which is almost identical to uh, Cora Cypress slash Kelly MacLean, the Thief of Budapest's right. uh, 
IMDb page, which is also just MacGyver and Throb, mm-hmm. which is how she got the the bizarre internet claim to her credit that she's the only actress that's ever been kissed by MacGyver and Paul Walker. <laughs> which I guess it's possible that Mary Beth uh, might be contending with that title. I, yeah. We'd have to look into it and well, see Well, MacGyver never kisses episode. her in this episode. Oh, he doesn't. Which is super odd. Usually he gets a, he sneaks a kiss in there. Yeah, but it also seems more romantic than most of his mm-hmm. relationships on the show. Yeah. So that's interesting. Because there's, there's an almost kiss at but the end. Happen. Yeah. Not only does it not happen in the dream, but it doesn't happen in reality yeah so they go to test this uh electronic translation device which is essentially supposed to it's it's not really mimicking the yeah the sense of hearing it's it's sort of it's kind of like in mr holland's opus when they do a concert and they're like pointing speakers into the ground so the kids Mm -hmm. can feel the vibration of the music yeah and they have lights to show like the magnitude of the volume of the music and everything right 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 it's it's kind of like that they're they She's putting on headphones, but it's just applying a small, like, static electric charge. Right. I, yeah, I'm, I'm imagining some kind of, like, vibration. Yeah. Um, and But I don't know how that vibration translates to birds tripping. Yeah. And rain falling. It, Which but, is what MacGyver describes, like, the sound you're about to hear is, you know, a, the, a forest with birds chirping and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't know what that would feel like as an electric, like, static... I mean, she she just describes it as tickling once she gets the machine. Right, on. right. Um, but yeah. So, but it's sort of being introduced as though this is going to allow them to hear for the first time, which is right, really right. not the case. That kind of technology didn't really exist at the time, although it kind of does now. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can go on YouTube and find videos of people hearing things for the first time and just right. freaking out. Uh, it kind of reminds me of the uh, the Val Kilmer movie, At First Sight. When uh, obviously it was for blindness. Yeah. But, uh, the whole, this one where he gets Baboon's eyes. It's kind of like a take on uh, Untamed Heart with Christian Slater, where he's got a, a baboon heart. <laughs> I do not know this movie. <laughs> I, I haven't seen it either. And um, I guess he doesn't really have a baboon heart in the movie. <laughs> he just claims to at some point. Um, yeah. I, I love that that's, that is the synopsis of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> Christian Slater claims to have baboon heart. Right. Brilliant. <laughs> All right. How many million did you say you needed? I'm just got to write the check right now. I got yeah. stuff to do today. Can you make it out of cash? <laughs> Actually, now that I think about it, doesn't doesn't she have her first vision before they even test the machine? Right. She. It, it's kind of weird because um, she we're getting we get a kind of cutaway to her having the vision as if we had seen it previously, but we hadn't yet. Right, because it's like a montage version of it. Uh huh. And I and I thought that was a very strange. I, was, I had to re- actually rewind it. It was like, did I miss it? Did did they show it earlier? <laughs> um, and uh, it was. It's not even until after, until a scene after, that she is actually sitting down with MacGyver and, and talks telling, him through the whole story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we actually get to see the whole thing. It, it's like it's a very The Ring style of like yeah. dream imagery. So I, I'm sure that they gave it to some like intern or PA who's just like, oh, I'm gonna make this the best. <laughs> um, it, it uses like weird like split screen mirror like yeah. effects and blur effects and filled with a lot of very just strange random objects. Um, I mean, do you want to run through it? I mean, sure. It, I mean, do you have it all written out? Kind well, of? I mean, are you you're talking about the full dream? The full dream. The full dream. It starts, off, it starts with the lightning, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's daytime lightning. They're walking through the woods, and there's lightning mm-hmm. over the mountains, which is, like, really badly illustrated lightning. Yeah, and then it, it looks like scratches on film. Yeah, hitting a tree near them. Mm-hmm. And then uh, and then that's when we kind of get uh, – they get they come across, like, the metal skeleton, then the Moorish rider, uh, who's, like, a very stereotypical kind of Arabian – and he's like holding like a, a saber that he's mm-hmm. or not a saber. It's like a scimitar uh, that he's waving. Yeah, yeah. Around. They dive into uh, a grave that has a metal like the robot, robot skeleton. Yeah. It looks like um it looks like a Miyazaki style robot grave. Yeah. Um I was gonna reference that um bladder control medicine. Oh yeah. There's, there's line with like Flow a whole bunch of like or whatever. Yeah, it's like, where it's like a bunch <laughs> of pipe robots. <laughs> That's what happens when you don't take your Flomax. You end up in a grave. 
crazy Arab swinging swords over your head. <laughs> um, uh, they get shot at a couple of times, and that's when they reach this like uh, shore, like lake shore. Right. And you see like an old timey kind of car coming out of the water. Yeah, it's like a forties Chrysler coming mm-hmm. across the lake. And then uh, it drives out onto the land and hits MacGyver, and MacGyver appears to be dead. And uh, this is when she just kind of like screams, and that's the end of her dream. Right. Um, but right before she screamed, she made a mental image of the entire circumference of the lake. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. It, it's kind of crazy, uh, the stuff, the, the dream reconstruction that they do with this. Yeah. Um, uh, we'll, we'll get into it. We'll get into it. Um, we kind of now go back and forth between David Crane stealing the pieces of the missile. Right. And his first piece is uh, stopping this... Uh, a single motor, uh, a single like a it's like a troop, cargo troop carrier, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, carrying a load of different supplies. He pretends to be a local sheriff, right? Or he, a trooper. Pu- he pulls his car out, blocking the road, mm-hmm. so that the military truck has to stop. And then he tells the guy driving the truck, "We have word that there was a military vehicle stolen in this area, mm-hmm. and we just have to verify that this isn't the stolen vehicle." Which, if this guy's in the military, he's going to know if there was another military truck stolen. Like, right. That, that information would be communicated to all of the military trucks in the area first. Like, they would be, like, be on the lookout for mm-hmm. someone who's stealing these trucks. So while they have the guy stopped and detained, they're pretending to look over his paperwork as um, two other Crane's guys. henchmen yeah. are, like, unloading boxes from the back of the truck and reloading replacement boxes so mm-hmm. that nobody knows anything is missing right because i i guess just the the thought is that no one's going to open these up like they're going to go into a warehouse right and be stored so right as long as the like arc and the crystal skull <laughs> yeah <laughs> so as long as they just have like the proper number of crates yeah it, it's it's of no concern um this whole setup actually kind of the, the way it's it's put together kind of reminds me of the richard donner superman where okay. lex luther is trying to get these two missiles uh, and uh, change the coordinates, like alter the uh, their, the global positioning of these two missiles. Yeah. And they keep coming up with all these really elaborate ways of sneaking someone onto the missile truck. Um, one of which is like the stage of car accident. Um, oh, anyway, sorry, I'm getting out. I'm talking about Superman. I shouldn't be talking about it. But we it, should be talking about James Bond, though, and specifically Man with the Golden Gun again. Yes. Because I just remembered that the golden gun is made up of three harmless items that he puts together to turn into a weapon. I feel like that's a much better example than what he uses to blow up the chair. Because it's like a lighter... Cigarette case and a pen. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. he just jams them all three together and that's what the golden gun looks (laughs) like. And he fires cigarettes at people. (laughs) The ultimate killer. cancer. That's why he doesn't leave a trace. Oh. Um... So back in uh, the next, like the next piece of the missile is uh, in a museum, which is weird that the missile is already on display at a museum. Yeah, but it's, well, yeah, but uh, just before that, between these two uh, pieces being stolen, we we have Carrie at MacGyver's house telling him the full right, explanation the full of the dream. Um, but yeah, then we cut to, and this is like our fourth title card so far in the episode. We had a title card in Paris. Mm-hmm. We had a title card at the test site, right. the Phoenix Foundation test site. We had a title card somewhere else. The South Carolina. That's where where the truck was. Right. And then we had another title card here. So they're really hammering home the point that it's like, we're jumping all over the place for Mm -hmm. this episode. Well, yeah. Crane even says, like, we have to go, like, 5,000 miles in three days or something like that. And so now they're at this this Veterans Military Museum. And uh, there's a a missile that's laid out in the middle of the – well, first there's the sign. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It says, Exhibit Opens Wednesday – but they have it in the exhibit. So yeah, it's not like it's in a window at a door of something. Yeah. It's, it's right there in the exhibit. So You're the in only the way exhibit. you can read the sign is if you were trespassing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, Crane is walks in dollying like a huge display, glass display case. Right. While uh, some other high-end uh, you know, military guys are kind of like just showing them the, the missile. Yeah. So to distract them, Crane just drops the, the glass display case and it shatters. Right. And you hear one of the military goes, that was one of the exhibits. It's like, what? It, this is the famous display yeah. case that everyone remembers from that one military action where mm-hmm. they used display cases. It, it, it was a weird line. Yeah. Um, I, I think the line should have probably been, or maybe it was, 
that was for one of the exhibits. Yeah. Exhibits. Instead of that was one of the exhibits. <laughs> um, Yo, I dumped a display case in your display case <laughs> so you can display case while you display case. <laughs> that was exhibit. <laughs> but yeah, this missile that they have in the middle of the room is mm-hmm. like open so they can freely take pieces out that right. they need. And it's functioning. Like those, they're the real actual working parts. Right. Minus the warhead. Yeah. Um, but the missile also is familiar uh, to viewers of the show as the same missile that they uh, were preventing the theft of in Ugly Duckling mm-hmm. in season one. Um, but here it's it's being referred to as the, the Moloch. Moloch missile. Yeah. Um, and the part they're stealing from this particular um, piece is the propulsion system. Correct. Um, and then we move right from the exhibit to uh, MacGyver and Peter walking down the street this is a really weird scene. Yeah. It the, didn't occur to me until just now that this really has nothing to do with the whole rest of the episode. Absolutely nothing. A car just accidentally veers off the road and almost hits them. Well, if you, yeah, like the car, the reason the car veers off the road is a car, uh, another car makes a quick left turn in front of them. Right. But then you think they would just hit the brakes. Right. But, but instead they turn to the right and go up on the sidewalk yeah yeah and yeah. macgyver knocks pete to the ground to like protect him from this car mm-hmm. but aside from that being the lightning from her vision yeah because there's lightning bolts painted on the side of this van like those aren't villains that are in that car mm-hmm. it really doesn't relate to the rest of the story uh, other than oh lightning struck near us yeah and it's the only part of the dream that can't be explained later right yeah like uh as far as like it's the most supernatural part mm-hmm. um um i think that i think it's supposed to be like this red herring. Yeah. Like to try to distract you to make you think, oh, maybe it is supernatural powers. Like she's deaf, so she's gained some other kind of sense. It's kind of like James Hong's convenient heart attack at the end of Wish Child. Yeah. Where it's like, oh, maybe he was the Wish Child and that's why he died. Mm hmm. Um, um, well, the thing I noticed uh, with this, because, oh, you know, we watched these episodes multiple times. Yeah. Um, with this particular viewing was the license plate on the van. Which was two GAT one two three, right? Which is a very very heavily used license plate uh, for movies, and uh, you know you'll I I recognize it from like LA Story because it's one of my favorites. Yeah. Um, it's I've seen it. You see it in like the Mel Gibson Payback. Um, I think uh, it was in Beverly Hills Cop. Yeah, somewhere. Beverly Hills Cop. One of one of the Beverly Hills Cops. Um, it, it it just makes its rounds. Right. Yeah. Uh, a lot of TV too. Yeah, not, exactly. Not just yeah, it's 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 just this reoccurring plate that's it's it's equivalent to like the five five five. Right. Yeah. Of a yeah, phone yeah. number, it's uh, which is funny because they show lots of license plates on this show, so yeah. it's, it's very selective to be like this one's going to be the prop license plate. Mm-hmm. But I mean, even the car that's chasing them down in the dream has a license plate that you can read very yeah, easily. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so okay. it's it was it. I don't know. Like I don't know how they go through picking these license plates. Yeah. Uh, what the process is. I imagine most of them are either are either owned by the studio. Especially the stuff that gets called out specifically, like Peter Jackson, Peter 584, or whatever yeah, yeah, the yeah. assassin one was. But when, when it's just something that's like offhand in the background or something where you're not really paying that close attention to the mm-hmm. license plate, I feel like that kind of stuff is probably just on the car. and doesn't really yeah. matter. I mean, there's no legal problem with having that license plate number on a show i guess i guess you know I, with a phone number you can call it and so you don't want a phone number to show up on tv but if it's right. a license plate number like what is someone going to do report the car they saw on television in a crime or something mm-hmm. i i met i mean they must have to be registered though is it you know like when you watch car commercials now on tv you're i don't know if you ever noticed they, they usually they, blur them out or well, they paint over them yeah it's like a reflective surface so you can't read the number but you well you can you can read the numbers Huh. But they paint over – like if it's a red car, the license plate will be painted the same color of red as the car. Oh, okay. But you can see the shapes of the numbers on the license plates. You right. can still – you can clearly identify the, the license plate. KFBR 392. <laughs> KFBR 392. <laughs> I still kick myself every day for not having that as a license plate. But, I went and saw a very early screener for MacGruber. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I'm so mad at myself that my license plate number is not KFBR 392. Oh, man. It is – that is a, just a great running gag for that movie. <laughs> <laughs> the notebook. <laughs> <laughs> he has an illustration of himself like hanging from a branch, crapping on the car. Yeah, and you you just start like to hear all like these whispers, like demonic whispers, like building. <laughs> <laughs> he has to close it because he's just scared of it. 
Oh, it's terrific. <laughs> um, so the next part is... Yeah, uh, the, the conversation they're having here when the car almost hits them is MacGyver's basically asking for an invite for Carrie to come and be tested, like for them to hook up electrodes to her head. Right, right. So they can like read her dreams at the Phoenix Foundation, mm-hmm. which apparently they're equipped to do there. Well, because the Phoenix Foundation is like a little bit of everything. Yeah. Like it, it, they seem to be in, they have their hands in many pies. Yeah. Uh, so the Obviously, next. Obviously, looking at Dana Elkar. Oh. <laughs> oh. I know you always eat when you're nervous. <laughs> to reference a different episode. That reminds me of when he's in that tracksuit eating a cheeseburger earlier this season. So at the Dream Lab, uh, it's a very like kind of very typical of what you would expect. They're laying her down. They give her a sedative. They put the little electrodes all over her head. A very fast acting sedative because she's mm-hmm. out in inside of a minute. And uh, they just they have like a, a a twelve different frequency polygraph right. monitoring all all these different uh, layers. And so she runs to the dream again. And uh, yeah, she kind of she spells the whole thing out verbally with MacGyver while she's awake. Mm-hmm. Then she seems to go to sleep, and while she's asleep, she's, like, describing everything. Like, she, there's a voiceover over the entire dream of, mm-hmm. then this happens, then this is happening, now this is happening right now. And then she wakes up, and then Pete makes her tell the whole dream again. Mm-hmm. But then she just says the very end of it, which is, I saw MacGyver got hit by a car, and he died. Right. I, I think that they're trying to just really hammer home the imagery, so when we see it, we're not surprised. Right. Or we make the connection ourselves. Yeah. Uh, but the, the doctor that's uh, running the equipment basically says, look, your dreams are made up of things that you saw in the day. Mm-hmm. It's the residue of, of your experiences of the day. And that um, th- these are probably all based on things you saw in real life. So let's retrace our steps, figure right. out what you encountered that would cause these visions. Because she's so closely involved with the project of the the Moloch missile with the sound guidance. Right. Uh, she's been at the test site. Which is still a crazy stretch that this thing that's supposed to tingle deaf kids' ears Mm -hmm. has anything to do with a voice-activated missile that uses actual audio. Yeah, it seems to be like a a can-do-anything chip. Or when we see it, it's like this weird tube. Yeah. Um, And uh, so they decide to take her to the testing site, which is where, you know, she occasionally, I guess, would go. Yeah. Um, at the same time, though, we have Crane arriving to with his To steal the men. last third of his yeah. missile pieces. Um, what Now, I, I don't remember if we've seen it previously, but this is the first time I feel that we see, like, because it, it opens up with a huge shot of the Phoenix Foundation logo. On the fence. Exactly. Um, and I'm so used to seeing it on my t-shirt, which is blue. Yeah. Um, to seeing it orange is, makes more sense, I guess, because it's supposed to be like a sunset. And it's also the phoenix mm-hmm, rising like, from yeah. like the fire, um, but it, like I don't recall seeing it ever previously. At least not that grand. Um, yeah, if it was anywhere, it would have been on a wall somewhere at the Phoenix mm-hmm. Foundation during um, during twice stung maybe. Yeah, but um, I really don't think we have seen it before this point. Not so clearly, anyway. Like yeah. it, this was like the entire screen is the logo. And I, I also forget which instance. Um, of them going back to the Phoenix Foundation building in this episode. But th- this is also the first episode where we see the exterior of the Phoenix Foundation mm-hmm. building, which is this big black wall with these two black c- columns running up the outside. But it's all window paneled the whole right. way around it, which mm-hmm. is actually there, – there's a pair of buildings that look the exact same that face each other okay. in Long Beach. And so they were in between the two buildings pointing up at one. And that's serving as the Phoenix Foundation building here. Yeah, so because uh, we we had previously seen them go in and out of like the DXS buildings, right? Which um, was called the Federal Building most of the time. Yeah. Um, so yeah, this is like the first time that we realized the Phoenix Foundation itself is a massive. Like, right. They own the whole building. Yeah, and it still gets bigger. Yeah. Next season. Um, but it's pretty cool looking. It's, it looks very like. It it looks kind of like a '90s like government conspiracy building. Oh, absolutely! Yeah. It's it, it's probably it probably is a federal building. Yeah, it could be. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, I, I believe this is the first time we're actually seeing 
a Phoenix Foundation logo, not just on the fence either. It's on their badges, uh, the badges, and the and the uniforms that a lot of the mm-hmm. people are wearing, including uh, three gentlemen who have somehow infiltrated right. uh, Phoenix Foundation. Uh, Jeffrey Lewis and his gang uh, are showing up and piling out of their van mm-hmm. to move into the test site. Uh, they're they're trying to steal the uh, the piece from the sound system. Right. And and they kind of could do a. I kind of like the way he does it. Is that he's got some blueprints to show them, and he has them unroll them on the window, so that he that no one can see what's going on inside yeah. the van. Yeah. It's, it was kind of a clever little yeah, yeah. little trick. Um. And as uh, MacGyver and Carrie are walking around, Carrie spots Crane and recognizes him as the driver from his her dream. Right. The one who hit MacGyver with her car. And even though she doesn't really have any evidence against him, mm-hmm. as soon as she points him out and says, that's him, that's the guy that killed you, yeah. Jeffrey Lewis loses it. Because yeah. he's just like, uh-oh, this is a problem. Somehow they know about our plan. Like, mm-hmm. he gets real paranoid about what's happening here. So and he, they just open fire. Yeah, exactly. They just, they just start they just start shooting at everybody. And uh, Crane just blows out the tires. There's, there's a lot of really great, like... Um, bullet impacts and stuff in this episode in this scene yeah yeah they're shooting out the tires of these vans and you're seeing the cars rock as the tires are burst and then they blow up a jeep and it looks like it's macgyver's jeep i thought it was macgyver's jeep and then it shows up like two scenes later i think it's it's at least a very similar jeep yeah but it's but macgyver's jeep isn't so military looking maybe not i I don't know it changes a couple times I i feel like this jeep and the jeep that, dri- that they're driving later on the episode at the lake yeah. are both very military style jeeps. Yeah, yeah. I don't feel like that. That that's, it's either one of those is MacGyver specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, and so MacGyver manages to tackle one of the guys, like because uh, Crane is driving off in the van, and he and, tackles him hard too. Yeah, it's like he, a running jump and mm-hmm. just knocks the guy out. And the guy's got an Uzi. Like yeah, he's, yeah, yeah. He's like this is like kind of bold move for MacGyver. And when uh, Crane sees that one of his men's about to be taken, just kills, kills him. him. Yeah. That's why, you know, he can Shoot the hostage. Mm-hmm. Kill the hostage. Kill the hostage. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that's, that's how and it works. actually, MacGyver would have been the hostage in that situation since the guy had the Uzi. Mm-hmm. So. And uh, he, takes, he takes, like, another pot shot at MacGyver but misses. Right. And uh, MacGyver just kind of dives to the ground. But it's crazy because he fires these shots out of the back of the van into his own guy just to make sure that the... The word doesn't get out, essentially. Mm-hmm. And he turns to his man and says, he's dead. Before the guy even hits the ground, he says, yeah. like, bang, 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 he's dead. Like, turns around, like, th- lets everybody know, don't try and be a hero and save this guy. I yeah. already killed him. Exactly. Uh, and then they plow through that fence, and, like, man, it, it, they just tear it apart. Yeah. Um, and MacGyver is, like, checking the pulse of the guy on the ground. He's like, ah, he's dead. Yeah. <laughs> He's so like just like frustrated. It doesn't sound like concerned, like oh no, we lost him. It's more like uh, we're not going to get any information out of this thing. This is a corpse. <laughs> this corpse will not help us. I think from here, after this encounter, they kind of catch on to what's happening. Right. They have a, a meeting back at Phoenix Foundation where they realize this tube has been stolen. They now have all the pieces they need. Probably they start working backwards and say, mm-hmm. oh well, this could have been stolen from here. This could have been stolen from here, but they still don't have the casing. Pete says, oh, well, turns yeah. out they, they legitimately bought the casing, semi-legitimately, because yeah. they forged a lot of their official paperwork. Along with two $600 toilet seats. Right, yes. Uh, I get the feeling that this was supposed to be some kind of like knock against government overspending. Yeah. Kind of like Judd Hirsch in Independence Day. You don't think they spend $5,000 on a hammer, do you? Well, uh, they, do, they do a bit about that in uh, West Wing that I thought was really capably handled where they're just like... I mean, it, it's intelligent, and then it totally backfires. Where they're like, "Oh well, the government uh, spends whatever three hundred dollars or one hundred and twenty dollars on uh, on ashtrays for this submarine. Like, how do you justify that? It's an ashtray." And Christian Slater is the guy that she's talking to, mm-hmm. and he gets really pissed off, and he takes a hundred and twenty dollar ashtray and slams it down on a table, and it breaks into three round pieces that you can't possibly cut yourself on. And he mm-hmm. said, "If the ship gets hit, then." You know, it, they're round pieces, so nobody would get hurt, and that's the whole point: is that it's really expensive to manufacture them in a way that prevents people from dying. So it's right. like it seems like totally ridiculous expenditure until you realize, oh, this makes it really safe, and then you're like, 
why are you guys smoking in a submarine? Yeah. <laughs> like just <laughs> that, that's where I was just gonna go. Don't even have ashtrays if you can't do it responsibly, and if it's gonna kill people and cost all this all the taxpayer money to like mm. get, you know. But they don't really cover that. They're just like, oh wow, I didn't even think about the fact that you were trying to save lives with it. No wonder they're so expensive. Mm. Smoke up, boys. Yeah, <laughs> smoke up on this limited oxygen submarine. Right. But then, um, yeah. So basically, um, again. Uh, Carrie uh, meets with MacGyver and sort of fleshes out her dream a little mm-hmm. bit more by talking him through the silhouette of the lake right. in her dream. They're really emphasizing technology in this episode. Yeah. Because uh, MacGyver's got like this kind of scanning pen that just whatever he draws shows up on the screen. Right. Uh, and so like he kind of traces like a faint. It's like a Cintiq. Kind mm-hmm. of. Exactly. Yeah, like early, early times of that. Yeah. Um, he traces like a pattern that looks similar to what she feels the lake look like. Right. Again, how she saw an aerial vision and from, of from the lake. one ashore, you would not even be able to tell if this was like a lake or a yeah. bay. Yeah, you couldn't tell anything. Yeah. Because we see that later on the lake is enormous. Yeah. I mean, it's not huge. It's not like like a great lake, but it's MacGyver has. It's to an t- okay lake. <laughs> it's an okay lake. <laughs> it's nothing great. Nothing to write uh, home about. Uh, MacGyver takes a while to walk around it later, but yeah. we're getting ahead of ourselves on that. Um, so he runs this this illustration through a system that basically tries to find similar lakes, mm-hmm. and uh, very advanced, like, yeah. and eventually it finds what it what it believes to be the lake, and she seems to confirm the the finding of the computer that it's Graydon Lake, Braden, Braden with lake. a B, yeah, okay, and because they it it does a computer cut where like you see like a computer generated image of the lake. Right. And then like of like the lake side, like the lake shore, not mm-hmm. just of the aerial lake, but like like you're standing there and it was like a digital photograph. Yeah. And then it wipes cleaner like it like took Claritin and became <laughs> like, became clear and they're there at the lake. Yeah. And uh, she's saying, Oh yeah, I recognize this place from a time when I came hiking. Yeah. And so MacGyver and her it's like, Okay, well that would be why it would be in your dream. Exactly. Maybe like, instead of checking every lake in California, we could have just asked you lakes you've visited recently. Mm-hmm. Unless you're big on lakes. And she does a lot of hiking. Yeah. And so they walk around the area and they find what they believe to be the metal skeleton in this old wrecked car that's like yeah, it's in kind like of a, a pit. Completely disassembled in this pit. Mm-hmm. And there's just one piece that kind of looks face esque. Yeah. And so she determines that she must have seen this and thought it looked like metal human remains or mm-hmm. something. And right at that same moment, luckily, we have the Moorish rider. <laughs> it's very it's a very strange scene because the, the rider is African American. Yeah. He comes up to them and Carrie gestures she signs to, Mac- to MacGyver, yeah. Yeah, she signs to MacGyver, and MacGyver goes, Moorish warrior. And the guy goes, excuse me? Or, like, <laughs> yeah. pardon me? Like <laughs> He should be way more offended than he is. Yeah. But also, did this happen last time? Like, she came up on this hole, and this same guy ran up on a horse? Well, well, the guy says that he, he, he rides his horses out here daily. Oh, okay. Like, he, he takes, like, I, I'm assuming he must have a couple, because he says he exercises them daily. So, yeah. Uh, if he lives in the area, I guess, like, you just encounter him. And she just remembered being like, oh, that crazy Arab on a horse. Like, that's how she stocked it in her memory. Mm-hmm. It's kind of weird. Yeah. She also says that she sees a lot of people hiking. Like, you go, she says specifically, you see a lot of people when you go hiking. I yeah. was like, I tend not to see very many people when I go hiking. Uh, I mean, I mean, I, also, I, in a I while, see zero people when I'm hiking, but that's because I don't hike. So that's, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's beside the point, but I, I've been on trails before and I've encountered maybe one or two people like average, but to say that you see lots of people on a hike, I don't know. I just, I feel that if you see lots of people, then you're not really hiking. You're just out in a place where they're like in a public place. Isn't yeah. it supposed to be that you're away from people when Man, you go There's hiking? a lot of people on this trail today. Um, do you know which aisle of this trail the mayonnaise is on? <laughs> Ma'am, you're in Ralph's. <laughs> So seven, six, somewhere there. Like trail seven, you think? <laughs> <laughs> down way down trail seven on your left. <laughs> Careful, that's a double diamond. <laughs> uh, it's just a spill the whole way down the aisle. <laughs> so, so they do they they don't jump into the pit with all these these car parts this time. No, because no, the that's guy just... doesn't even approach them. He just kind of turns off and was like, "Oh, hey." 
I've seen you before. Mm-hmm. Like, I see lots of people hiking. In the dream, they dive into the pit to right. avoid being shot at or to, to avoid the rider. Right. Um, and then he jumps over it in the dream. Right. And then they're, then they're shot at, which is what happens now. Uh, some of Crane's goons just start opening fire, and the guy on the horse just books it. Yeah. Um, and, yes, uh, he should. Yeah. I mean, pff, people being shot at. This doesn't have anything to do with me. I really don't understand what they were even doing there. Like Jeffrey Lewis and his gang. Yeah, there's no like, additional pieces out there that they're getting. Well, I guess this is his hideout. A secluded area. Yeah. Yeah. This is. I guess this is his normal hideout. And again, because she sees so many people hiking, she had encountered him previously. Yeah. Th- this is their attempt to try to explain the things that she's seeing in the right. dream. Um. So they run out towards the lake, and uh, Crane is driving a hovercraft, like a like a two or three person hovercraft on the lake. Right. Yeah. And this is supposed to be the antique car coming out of the lake because it's this hovercraft. It can go from lake to land. And it, so she must have seen them riding this hovercraft around on the lake yeah, before, which is weird. Which, again, is I would think that would be something you would remember. Yeah. Like, if you remember the lake so specifically, you'd say, oh, yeah, and I see this guy out with a hovercraft because yeah. it's kind of cool. Hovercraft isn't something you see every day. It, I go hiking a lot. I see lots of hovercrafts. Lots, so many hovercrafts. <laughs> hovercrafts. Crabs. <laughs> hovercrafts. If there's more than one, they're called hovercrabs. And they're way more terrifying. So MacGyver gets hit with hovercraft, as the dream would imply. Right. And uh, Knocked they... unconscious on the beach. Mm-hmm. Or the lakeside, I guess. Yeah. It's not really a beach. And they grab Carrie and they hover off uh, across the lake. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they do. I don't know why that made me laugh. <laughs> that's what happens yeah um macgyver comes to and the rider comes back and says he he regains consciousness he doesn't go with them <laughs> <laughs> that could be interpreted two ways that's, that's true i meant <laughs> yes <laughs> can macgyver come to sure everybody <laughs> sure everybody regain consciousness Uh, the writer, the writer returns. MacGyver regains consciousness and swims across the lake. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, unless it, he walked around it, like you said. Yeah, like we we have a scene of him walking around. Yeah. And uh, MacGyver tells the writer to contact Pete at the Phoenix Foundation. Right. Just to, I guess, give his he location. Says, Pete Thornton, Phoenix Foundation. Get on it. Because the nearest phone is five or six miles in town. Yeah. I guess he doesn't have a phone where he keeps his horses. Right. Uh, so MacGyver follows the lake and encounter and finds the cabin. Oddly familiar cabin by the lake, though. The same cabin uh, all the way in Russia that was inhabited by Alexander Karzov. Or I guess he he had already been imprisoned. His daughter Maria was living Right, there. right. It's their home. Right. Um, and it still is on a lake, and it still has the same dirt path leading up to it mm-hmm. with the tree that was surrounded in bags of potatoes before right right it has the same breakaway railing which we'll yeah. see in action again later uh so macgyver sneaks up and uh, asks and kind of like crane is trying to interrogate uh carrie i thought this scene was going to go differently like i thought she was going to be like trying to sign to them and they're going oh we're not going to get any information out of her oh like she would just clam up and just pretend like oh i can't even read lips mm-hmm. yeah I, I i don't know like i thought like that would be that would have been a kind of a clever way but sure, yeah but at that point also they probably maybe would just decide that we can't she's of no just use to kill us. her yeah um well are they trying to get information from her just about macgyver in general well crane wants to know one how she recognized him right um and she will explain it and and two if anyone knows specifically about him and what they've done right which she does know all of that information yeah um and she does describe to him how he saw her at the test site, and he must. She must have seen her, him hiking when she was there, presumably with yeah. other people. Yeah. And uh, in the meantime, when uh, Car- uh, Crane is kind of like with his men, barking orders, MacGyver comes up to the window and signs to her. And you like, I'm assuming what it is, buy me some time, because he taps his wrist as yeah. an indicate like a watch. Yeah. And she says like two minutes. Yeah. And he says yeah. And uh, MacGyver goes out to the hovercraft to see what materials he can kind of scavenge. 
And this is really the only MacGyverism we get in the episode. Oh, wow, yeah. That really is about it. Yeah, I mean, because, like, we, we see him using technology, but... And he kind of, I mean, I don't know if the rope trick is a MacGyverism that comes up later. Kind of. It's, it is like a, it's like a tripwire snare. Yeah, yeah. But this is like a really elaborate MacGyverism. Like, yeah. A class, again, only a distraction. Right. We forgot about the best part, when he takes out the goon on the hovercraft. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh, this is so great. So, the goon, uh, uh, Thorn, I think is his character name. Uh, that's possible. Throne. You know what, it's Throne. Throne, not there you th- go, yeah. Not Thorn, Throne. Uh, he's getting the hovercraft ready, and this tube of water just keeps streaming up out of the back of the hovercraft. Yeah, and he's like, what is going on back there? It, it, it's such a great reaction. The first one is just like, did I hear something? Nah. And yeah. then, like, it keeps happening over and over again. And so he creeps over to the edge of the hovercraft and peeks his head over. And this fist just comes straight up out of the from water. From the angle that we see this happening, this connects hardcore with his face. It looks great. Yeah. And it's actually Richard Dean Anderson because he surfaces shortly after. Exactly, so, yeah. Like, he was actually underwater and punched straight up and did this mm-hmm. really great move. But if this guy's looking down into a still lake, there's no way he doesn't see MacGyver just there under the water. I guess it's just kind of murky. <laughs> yeah. But uh, also, like, ugh, just sucking in that water to shoot it out of the straw yeah, yeah. over and over again. It's pretty gross. On one breath. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that he was doing this. Uh, so MacGyver grabs him, and, like, like one of the other goons, uh, Gorman, kind of comes out of looking for him. Yeah. And so MacGyver's trying to hold him down, telling him to be quiet. And MacGyver says, I'm really sorry about this. And he punches him again. Just straight into the ground. Yeah, like, oh, gosh. Like, when someone's standing up, like, their head gives into the punch. Yeah. You know, it goes with the punch. Which this makes is... it easier for both people involved. Mm-hmm. But when you punch someone directly into the ground, it's like... like... You're going to shatter his skull. Yeah, and your hand. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's it's a pretty harsh thing for MacGyver to do. Yeah, which is why I feel like they had to have him apologize before he did it. Because mm-hmm. otherwise he'd be like, whoa, like, what is that? Like, that you could have killed that guy, so- MacGyver. Sorry that you won't be able to eat solid foods ever yeah. again, guy. Sorry about your jaw being wired shut for the next year. Um, so in the hovercraft, MacGyver finds, like, some plastic bags and some string and some rope. So he... Decides to build a water timer out of it. Yeah, he he, big, he builds like this balance beam with two bags of water, and he pokes a hole in one of the bags. Right. So when the other when it starts to teeter to the other side, it pulls the starter for the boat, yeah. for the hovercraft. And this ends up working perfectly, uh, where he's rigged up a snare out outside the front door of the cabin. Right. Because we're pretty much going to get the same spill into the lake. That Pete did in Prisoner of Conscience. Yeah, because they know the stunt already. They've already performed it, so they're like, mm-hmm. let's do the same exact thing yeah. at the same location. And uh, so the mo- the Although the, the thought that goes into the setup doesn't really gel with what happens, because he sets up this snare rope. He makes mm-hmm. like a square outside the floor mat. A snare square. A snare square, if you will. <laughs> and uh, and he, so the... The water timer sets off the hoverboard mm-hmm. or the hovercraft. Hoverboard. Hoverboards don't work on water, Pat. Right. Hovercrafts everybody, do. Everybody knows that. <laughs> um, and uh, and they hear it start up, and, and he says, "Oh, go check it out." And he steps out the front door. His legs are immediately ensnared by this mm-hmm. trap, which you would think the point of it is to like trip him up, which it right. does. But then he falls through the railing and just falls completely off into the lake. And it's like, yeah. weren't his legs just tied up on this rope? His legs, like, get... Well, because he has the, the, the snare going up to yeah. this hook that's holding a lantern, what I'm thinking is happening is the first pull kind of, like, wraps it around his legs. And then MacGyver gives it, like, a second yank, which causes him to flip up. But that right. still would only drop him straight down. Yeah, because if there's enough slack to... to fall into the lake then it wouldn't be tight enough for him to trip the guy Mm -hmm. so it just seems weird that he's able to fall freely into the lake even though he just got caught up in a rope snare yeah well he does go through the fence like he doesn't go over the fence he goes he goes goes through through it it. the same way that uh, the two um, kgb agents did that came after maria Mm -hmm. in prisoner of conscience and so crane hearing the uh, excitement grabs his gun and starts walking towards the door and macgyver just Kool-Aid man, Kool-Aid just yeah. bursts oh, yeah. <laughs> through the window and tackles him. But and and man, but 
it go it totally like goes sideways on him because Crane just grabs him and throws him up against the wall. Right. Yeah. And uh, gets ready for a big huge punch, like he charging up for his Falcon punch, and yeah. MacGyver grabs like a coffee uh, pot off the stove, and the guy just Crane just punches it, and he gives like this really cartoonish of like, yeah. Yeah, it's a very slapstick <laughs> attack because he's like, ah, oh, I pretty much broke my hand on this thing, and then. Yeah. MacGyver continues to clobber him with it, and mm-hmm. every time he hits him, he's like, "Wah!" Oof, <laughs> yeah, he's and pulling all kinds collapses. of like, like facial feature, like. Brrr. But it's great because Jeffrey Lewis really—I mean, a lot of his work has been comedy. Like mm-hmm. you don't see him play these kind of villainous characters very often. Well, and he's got a very expressive face. Yeah. Because like, so it seems like he can like do like a lot of like Jim Carrey rubber facing yeah, kind of yeah, like yeah. contorting like, I've been hurt. You know, kind of things. Um, And so knocks him out. And so he runs out to go, like, now, like, the other goon is kind of coming to out of the water. And Carrie brings over the dropped gun, like, and goes, here, shouldn't you use this? Yeah, threaten him with this. And then MacGyver doesn't even point it at the guy. He doesn't even hold the gun right. He's just kind of like, look, I have a gun. And, like, the wrong hand. And he's grabbing onto the barrel of Mm -hmm. it instead of the handle. And And the uh, guy's like, uh, well... Yeah, he's like, I guess I can't do anything because you're armed, even if you're not, you know, pointing it at me. Yeah. And then, and then she says, uh, Carrie says, like, just don't drop just, it. Just uh, make sure you don't drop. And he's like, Yeah, yeah, that, that wouldn't be good or something yeah. like that. It's just like he he has like it's another one of those ultra genuine things where mm-hmm. he just kind of laughs at her while he's saying the line. Yeah. Um, and they're all, well, now we just need to wait for Pete to, to show up. And that's immediately Boom. helicopter, helicopter. Over the hill. because Pete is always on the ball. It might even be a reuse of footage of a helicopter coming over a hill from road, not taken mm. or something like that. I feel like we've seen this footage before of this helicopter coming over the hill. It could be. Um, I mean, you know, I, you know, when you rent a helicopter for the day, you, yeah, yeah. you film the hell out of it. Well, if somebody, somebody on this production owned a helicopter, because they use helicopters so much on this show. Yeah, they, they do they do use a fair amount of helicopters. And they do stuff to them. Like like in The Road Not Taken, they were they set it on fire or smoke, put smoke bombs and yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. While it was in flight, too. Mm-hmm. Not just the one on the landing pad, yeah. but yeah. So uh, with the cavalry arrived, um, we get kind of like a little closing scene of MacGyver back at the school for the for the deaf. And Pete comes in to – Pete does a lot of this, like – Sorry, just before that, don't we have the scene of them, like, having their romantic interlude at – Oh, that's true. That's at true. At Max's apartment. Yeah. Um, there's, like, another dream sequence. Or well, well, what we don't know is a dream sequence. Right. But it is shot with, like, that sort of a Vaseline blur filter. Yeah. Like, the can- there's candlelight, and the candles are really, like, star lit. Yeah. And um, – also, there's no logical reason for us to get here. Yeah, everything's haloed, and and so uh, yeah, she's she's dancing romantically with MacGyver Carey, and they kind of start to go in for a kiss when MacGyver snaps her out of reality. Uh, back. It would have been re- funny if it just cut to like Pete waking up in a cold sweat. <laughs> it's just like, why are you dreaming about that, Pete? <laughs> too, many, too many meat pies today. <laughs> I had the weirdest dream. You know you're driving, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's it's a shame that that's in the trailer because that was probably one of my favorite lines from that movie. Yeah, I mean, it's a great movie. Uh, Pete does this a lot, where he'll come in at the end to summarize everything working out okay, and then offer a bonus. Mm-hmm. The the bonuses happen a lot on the show. Yeah. Um, Pete comes in and says, "Oh yeah, so by the way, everyone's arrested. Uh, everyone's blaming everyone else." They got. They also got the 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 bad guys who were coming for the payoff for the right. missile. Yeah. And also. Everybody's arrested. We got the East Germans. We got mm-hmm. two crates of sauerkraut. Yeah. Um, he says, "I managed to cough up another fifty thousand dollars for the project," as if he had to work well, hard. Well, he didn't say I managed to cough up. He says I got them to cough got up. Got them to cough like, up. Like who is them? Because yeah. you own this. Company. You are them. You are the president of Phoenix Foundation. I mean, maybe you had to get a sign-off from some, like, grant system mm-hmm. that's coming down, but it's like... And then they bring in the girl from earlier who had tested the equipment, mm-hmm. and uh, and they basically taught her to... I mean, it seems like this is a first for her, that she's trying to speak without using sign language. Right, right. Um, I mean, you know, deaf people can speak. Right, it's, yeah. But it just seems like she wasn't really doing it before. Or mm-hmm. I guess maybe she did a little bit 
before. She, she didn't. This character. This she person only signed, did. and Carrie was was translating for her. Yeah, um, a couple other kids kind of like like did a little bit of like joking chatter and right. stuff. Right. So this is almost her like Tiny Tim moment of like mm-hmm. she doesn't she doesn't even try to speak normally, but here she is so appreciative and comfortable with you that she's willing to to attempt to thank you in person mm-hmm. instead of through this intermediary. Um, and it's a very touching moment, and everyone seems especially. Yeah. Oh, um, Pete. Pete. Dale Pete, Pete looks like he's like... about to burst into tears. Although mm-hmm. I'm still not sure that that's not because he's like, "But I got the money. Like, <laughs> MacGyver didn't really do anything for you. I'm paying for all of this." Yeah, this is all the foundation's money. But yeah, and that's where we close. We close mm-hmm. on MacGyver's smiling face after after she says thank you. Yeah. And and he says you're welcome in sign language. Mm. Which I guess is just touching your chin and yeah, pulling your hand away. You're welcome. Yeah, um, I don't know sign language all as much, which I should because a, a friend of mine, uh, his wife, is not totally deaf, but she does sign. Oh, okay. Um, and I feel like I should. Does, I should... You, does your friend sign too? Then I assume. Yes, he does. Yeah, okay. he he spent a lot of time learning. Yeah, yeah. Um, I wonder how hard that is on the on the the chart of languages to pick up. Mm. I think I would think that's actually one of the easier ones. Well, I mean, I'm very gestury with my hands anyway. Yeah. I imagine that I would get Just into it. Just say a lot of curse words on accident. Yeah. Um, <laughs> quick... Are you flirting with my wife? No, no, no. I just talk with my hands a lot. Uh, talk to someone else's wife with your hands. We've been doing this show for a while now. Yeah. It started to get to me now. Not not in a bad way, but where I was actually dreaming about making sure of, like for the recording and getting my notes done for this episode – um, I started having a dream about this episode, but in the dream, we were trying to get Marley Matlin uh, to be on the show, uh, which is weird. I mean, because like I guess because just like she's a famous uh, deaf actress. Yeah. And who uh, does not appear in this episode? Yeah, it does not appear in this episode or any MacGyver that we're aware of. There are three actresses who I'm pretty sure are deaf in this episode, but like we said before, one of them has a single. Uh, other credit which is on throb and mm-hmm. the other two did not have any other credits the right. two students that we deal with um and it was really elaborate because like we were trying to figure out a way that she, we could videotape the interview so she could sign right like in because marley madden obviously can is able to communicate and speak right yes um but um we thought it would be more comfortable for her if she could sign and, and visually sign as well yeah um so it was really strange that uh that this particular episode triggered these kinds of things in me. Which, by the way, I, I'm pretty sure you, you haven't watched West Wing, right? I have not. Is Molly Matlin in West Wing? She Westwing? is. Oh. And she's a great character on the show. It's totally, you should, you should, you know, I kind of want to pitch that for after this. Yeah. But it's such a great show. And her part on it is amazing. So, But what's so great about me having the dream about Silent World is that the whole Silent World episode is about a dream. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, like, it's like meta. <laughs> it's like Inception, Inception. Because mm-hmm. your dream is about dream dreams. Yeah. Dreams, dreams. That's a fun little side story for this yeah. episode. And I think that about wraps it up for this mm-hmm. one. Um, it's good. Like, I, I was worried. I was really worried watching this episode that in the end it was going to be some kind of crazy supernatural sixth sense that she had. Well, fifth sense. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yes, that's true. She is, she is minus a sense. Yeah. Um, and uh, I'm glad that, that they were able to, for the most part, explain that she had just casually seen these things and incorporated them into her dream. Right. But they still, with the introduction of the lightning van, yeah. it's, it's kind of a toss-up thing where they're like, we're at least admitting that this isn't 100% mm-hmm. a supernatural ability, but we're throwing in hints that, hey, maybe this lady can tell the future. Right. Like, you don't know. But overall, I feel satisfied that, that it was just a string of coincidences that played out. Yeah. Which is good. Which is good. I, I'm glad it didn't get, like, super, super hokey. Yeah. And we have um, MacGyver, you know, saving the world from nuclear weapons and... Uh, Saving a school for deaf children from mm-hmm. bankruptcy. Like it's, it's a double win. Yeah, so. He's helping orphan orphans uh, and helping eagles this season. Now he's helping the deaf. Right. And I forget if we said it before, but did, did we already mention that the three guys that are hiring Jeffrey 
Lewis in the beginning are the same three guys that hired Quail. Well, we mentioned that they are the Shadow Syndicate. I don't remember if we specifically mentioned Deathlock. Oh, okay. Well, it, it's literally the same three actors, mm-hmm. and they're credited in the same order, number one, number two, number three, yeah. as they were in that episode. But we, we actually see their faces this time. Right, yeah. But, last time they were just silhouetted. Mm-hmm. I think we referred to it as Bohemian Rhapsody lighting last time. Yeah. But now we have, they're, they're well lit. Mm-hmm. We're able to see, and each of them has lines. Right. And, and it's such a it's such a comparison for, as far as, like, them being kind of suited, and then when we see Quail, like, he's in a suit, he's very dignified. And then when we get Crane, like, he's so casual, and, and like, he's joking because they don't understand, they don't know what football is. And, yeah. Um, cavalier is the word that they throw around a lot. I also made the joke, too, that when we were watching it this time, that we had previously said that Quail reminded us of sort of a combination of Sting and David Hyde Pierce. Mm-hmm. David Hyde Pierce, who famously played Niles Crane. Right. And here we have Jeffrey Lewis as David Crane. Right. The lost brother of the, <laughs> of the Crane household. Um, the one they don't talk about. Right. But I think that about wraps it up for this one. Um, if you have any thoughts you'd like to share on this or future episodes, you can find us on Twitter at Opening Gambit. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Podcast. And as always, you can find us on our website, phoenixfoundationpodcast.com. And if you're digging the show, feel free to review us on iTunes. Tune in next week. We're going to be covering Season 2, Episode 10, Three for the Road. And uh, thank you for listening. Thank you. Thank you.